Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. So Vic, do you think you might have ADHD? Well, listeners keep emailing me telling me that they think I do, so probably. Mind you, listeners also email us saying we talk too much about your mum's feet. So what do they know? Yeah, fair enough. I honestly had no idea about the connection between overdrinking and ADHD until we started this podcast. About 40% of people that have had any sort of drinking issues also apparently have ADHD. Whenever we chat to ex-drinkers, this comes up more than you'd believe. If you have ADHD or suspect you might or just want to learn about this link, then we would encourage you to check out the I Have ADHD podcast. It's the place where adults with ADHD find research-based information, validation and tons of support. This is the best way to feel less alone and hear some of the answers to the questions you've been sitting with for too long. You'll hear detailed descriptions of what it means to have ADHD and enjoy interviews with the foremost experts in the industry so that you don't have to read those ADHD books that are collecting dust on your shelf. Yeah. Listen to the I Have ADHD podcast and learn how ADHD affects every aspect of your life. From the boardroom to the bedroom. In the podcast, you'll also hear about their ADHD coaching programme, which is called Focused. Focused is made up of three pillars, courses, coaching and community. It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement programme and is perfect for the ADHD brain. And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast. The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started, then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one, while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober. An unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. think people are going to get triggered Hamish today because they're the sound is different isn't it well we were trying to start 10 seconds ago and then an aeroplane came back yeah. over which just reminds us we're back in Freddie's bedroom we're back in Freddie's bedroom the OG studio <laughs> yeah. surrounded by toys vomit dog sick what else well it's actually to be fair 
It's not looking that untidy today. Actually, we've got a 20-year-old living in here at the moment. Yeah, very different experience. Yeah, we've got a visitor, yeah. She keeps it tidy, not like that little brat. No, she doesn't pee the bed quite as much. <laughs> well. <Yeah. laughs> well, it's a lovely episode today. We're doing a special, aren't we, Hamish? We are, and we've wanted to do this one for a very long time. Yeah, and we thought today was the perfect opportunity. It's glitter, rainbows, leather and pride, all of Hamish's favourite things. Yep. Yes, folks, today we're celebrating Sydney Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras is an occasion for everyone to come together and support the queer community, regardless of how they identify in their gender or sexuality. The week-long list of events has started, and the Pièce de Résistance is the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras Parade, which takes over Oxford Street on Saturday night. Yes, the parade is host to hundreds of floats and thousands of glitter-clad marchers, showcasing the vibrant diversity of the LGBTQIA plus community. People who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex and asexual. Whatever floats your boat. It's all about love, equality and inclusion. It's grown into a glittering spectacle over the last 40 plus years of history and it's truly a sight to behold. It wasn't always such a riot of colour and sparkle though. It's grassroots origins as a protest for gay rights born of a desire to simply celebrate queerness remain at the heart of the event. Have you ever been Hamish? Yeah, I've went three times. Yeah, three years I was in Sydney. Yeah. My brother the came... The gay years. Yeah, my gay years. Yes. My brother actually came over from Hong Kong for a weekend and yep. it happened to be Mardi Gras weekend. Amazing. We did have an unusual situation where we were in a hot tub on the roof at a party. <laughs> I told you this? I remember this and story. It's brilliant. This couple walked past and the girl said to me and my brother, would you mind if I just leave my boyfriend here for a second while I go get some drinks? Yeah, of course. Hop on in. The guy comes in within... 20 seconds of him sitting down, he starts feeling me up. Yes. And I look over to my brother and my brother gives me the eyes of a man who's clearly also being felt up. <laughs> I think the girl was a plant. Maybe she was like the wing woman. Yeah. Anyway, so the only time I've ever been felt up at the same time as my brother was Mardi Gras. But what a wonderful experience. It wasn't. I, yeah, I yeah. felt closer to him as a result. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it is easily... My favourite weekend of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Mine too. How many, how many times do you go to I it? think I've been about four, but yeah. because those four times that I've been when I was living in Sydney were when I was a drinker, yeah. I did my usual black it out sort of scenario, yeah. Yeah. which yeah. is a shame. Well, there was always, I always ended up at the either the Gay Club Arc yes. or I was in at the Strawberry Hills Hotel, which Beautiful. is like the only pub that would be open until six or seven in the morning yep. and go home for an hour then back onto Oxford Street on Sunday morning. I did have a guy... I went to the loo of a pub on the Sunday morning, like the day after the big party, and I'm standing at the urinal and this very flamboyant, he must have been probably in his 70s, sort of beautiful older gay guy comes mm. in, stands next to me at the urinal and he goes, lovely cock. And then, and then he snorts a line of Coke and he goes, and even lovelier Coke. He gave me a wink and, and walked out. This is an unusual interaction. Oh, but I that, just that love gives it so you an much. insight. I feel like I wish we were there, Hamish. Yeah. That is a sort of, that's oh, sort of encounter that I want. It's the weekend I miss the most yeah. every year that I'm not there. Well, I remember one year that I went, my friend Nick used to have an apartment in King's Cross and we used to all meet up there and head out on the streets and the streets were absolutely packed full of joy, I must yeah. say. We went out, we had a brilliant night and there was a point where I can't remember anything and I remember the text next the next day was mm. Nick messaging me going, are you okay? Do you remember being in the club in Oxford Street where there's a massive bronze statue of a horse wearing a cowboy hat and climbing on its back 
and shouting yee-haw. Oh, wow. He said, I was dragged off by the bouncers and kicked out. <laughs> I don't think many people get kicked out of pubs at Mardi Gras, do no, you? it's the one day they're sort of lenient, isn't it? You've done well to get kicked out. What a horrible person I am. I brought that craziness to the night. Some angry bouncer had to deal with me. (laughs) Anyway, we think it's important today to have a chat about the use of alcohol in the gay community. This is an opportunity to discuss why alcohol use disorder is so prevalent and why coming out can lead to addiction issues. And we also have some top tips on how to approach this amazing event sober. We'll be having a chat later with the lovely Andrew Addy to find out his experience of coming out and turning to alcohol. But let's just get some insight and some stats first, Hamish. Yes, lovely stats. The LGBTQ plus community is strongly impacted by alcoholism for a number of reasons. One of the most important is the intense bigotry that they experience on a daily basis. This is especially true for older LGBTQ plus individuals or those who reside in less tolerant regions. The bigotry often results in intense emotional distress, including anxiety, fear and feelings of low self-esteem. Many turn to alcohol as a way to self-medicate, at least temporarily. As time goes on, this self-medication actually makes the symptoms worse leading to more drinking and a downward spiral has begun. Yeah. For many decades, the only places that individuals and particularly gay men could meet and be open about their sexuality or feel safe was in gay bars. Drinking became one of the primary social interactions in the community. In fact, many of the most important moments in the LGBTQ plus history, such as the Stonewall riots, which led to the creation of the modern LGBTQ plus rights movement, were closely connected to gay bars. As a result, alcohol abuse has become more normalised in the community than society at large. Perhaps most damagingly, many members of the community do not have access to the same support systems as other members of society. Many of them lose the support of their families, or at least significant parts of their families, as a result of coming out. In particular, many LGBTQ plus youth end up homeless after either running away from or being kicked out by their families. So let's get some first-hand insight and welcome Andrew Addy to the show. Andrew is a passionate LGBTQ plus advocate and currently works in inclusion and belonging at a community health organisation. He has a weird and wonderful career history, which includes working in Alice Springs for six months in co-coordinating the Central Australian Marriage Equality Campaign, doing communications and animal welfare, working for an agriculture minister and organising events for the alcohol-free community. Since giving up alcohol, he's been very open about his journey with mental health and addiction. He's an avid surf lifesaver, pole dancer, and always willing to share his story with a good laugh. So here's my chat with Andrew Addy. I work at a, um, like a queer health promotion organisation. We have 1.2 tonnes of lube to give out. <laughs> 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 Which I, yes. just find, I just find endlessly funny. Whoa, yeah, where I'm, did they even source 1.2 tons of lube from? Level one of our office. It got delivered and it was just crates, crates and crates and crates of lube. It was very funny. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. So and I'm marching <laughs> in the parade tomorrow with um, uh, Lifesavers. Yeah. Which is good, but I'm also, I also train Lifesavers. To become lifesavers, which is which is all tomorrow morning as well. So I'm just I'm cooked already. 
<laughs> yeah, mm. you need to be going in fresh. Mardi Gras the big weekend. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I see. I live. I lived in Bondi for three years oh. before moving up here, and I would say that Mardi Gras weekend is like the time that I miss it the most. Yeah, so Just fun. The greatest weekend of the year. Yeah, and I, I, haven't, I haven't been back for one since. I, I had a one year old last year, so that sort that's of sure. annihilated <laughs> weekend partying in Sydney for a while. Yep. But yeah, man, I'm, I miss it. So also, it's just struck me. I'm doing this in, in Freddie's bedroom, which is Vic's youngest son. Mm-hmm. Just struck me. I've got a Freddie Mercury poster. Uh, it almost looks like I planted it. Like, oh, I've got to get a gay icon uh, on the wall. Uh, Elton John here, Freddie Mercury, Black uh, Gaga. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it struck me when, when researching you that most people are not sober. And I would expect that the percentage of sober people in the LBGTQI plus community is probably even smaller. In my head, you might be like, like a unicorn. Like, where do we find a gay, sober person? <laughs> I don't know about a unicorn. I mean, I love a rainbow, but um, I mean, there's definitely queer, sober people out there. You just have to look really, really hard. <laughs> I, I, there is, I think there is a real, sometimes I experience like a real loneliness um, in the community. You know, of course, Mardi Gras is happening right now. It's a big cause of celebration, but a lot of it re- revolves, you know, completely around alcohol and, and drugs even. Yeah, so I do feel a little bit left out at times, but, you know, I'm not shy and really punching out my space as a sober yeah. queer person. You've described your experiences as effectively having to come out twice. Once yes. to break the news that you're gay, and then again to tell everyone that you're sober. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before getting onto, onto that first coming out story, I kind of, I want to know what I need to understand about you and about your growing up in Cairns and in regional Queensland. <laughs> that, you know, maybe the first inclinations that in retrospect you could see okay maybe these were the dominoes that fell that led me to having an unhealthy relationship with alcohol oh golly gosh where do i start got a house of cards <laughs> um i mean yeah i grew up in in cairns original city up in north queensland and i think you know as a teenager there was a real early culture of drinking you know i kind of would go out on the weekends and you know steal alcohol or like someone's would t- get alcohol from their parents and and off we went to the parties and i was so young and i was in the closet at that time i was still quite young i didn't come out until i was about 18 but you know alcohol was just always this thing that I could depend on, I think, you know, it was a good little escapism for what I needed at the time. And, you know, by the time I hit 18, I was just fully fledged, like binge drinking every weekend. And, and as I grew older, you know, life, life is tough. Um, and and th- a lot of things happened and, you know, I was just drinking out of control, you know, towards the end of my drinking career, which I think I was 32. Gosh, it's, it's mm. almost been five years. I'm starting to forget how long I've been sober, which is a good thing, I guess. Um, but <laughs> I was drinking every night and m- my life was just uh, slipping away from me, really. Yeah, got out of control. Hey, when you say got out of control, I mean, I know there were obviously some mental health issues. There was some trauma. And I guess anyone that experiences those and the infinite things that come in between those look at alcohol as like, this is the cure. This is what makes the voices quiet. This is what makes me feel numb. And you sort of probably know, but refuse to admit that it's also causing you the issues. Um, What did you see alcohol as? What what was it helping with, at least in those early stages? Oh, golly gosh. I remember sitting in a, you know, a counseling room with a psychologist and this was so long ago. I think it was about 15 years ago. He said, you need to stop drinking. And I said, I can't. I need it to sleep. 
Yeah. And like the Delulu of it all, you know, I look back <laughs> now and I'm just like, Jesus, <laughs> you know, that was like 15 years ago. And now I look back and I'm like, oh dear, that was causing a lot of my problems. Um. <laughs> yeah. So you've got the, the first coming out story. And I know that you, you said you were someone who you basically knew pretty early on, yeah. hey, hey, I'm gay. Yep. And it took you until you said, you mentioned you were 18 when you eventually came out. Who was it that you first came out to and what was that like? Oh, so randomly, it was um, I, in Queensland, you finished school a year younger, 17. And, you know, I, I turned 18 and I was living in a share house. And it was actually to my housemate randomly. I think she was a bit um, suspicious that there, there weren't young women attending the house. Uh, she just asked me point blank at the pub one night when we were wasted, lol. Um, <laughs> she said, are you gay? And I said, yes. And I wasn't upset. It was just such a huge relief. Like a lot of people that come out, I think it is a huge relief. And then, you know, then it was sort of a really long process to, you know, come out to a lot of people. And then that's kind of a little bit traumatizing, but also really empowering as well. Eventually, it would become really empowering um, for me personally. But yeah, definitely alcohol was a big part of that yeah. <laughs> situation as well. Yeah. I can see how it'd be easier to say if somebody asks you outright, like the impetus isn't on you to have to begin the conversation where I break the big news. It might be easier. And I've, I've not spent much time in Cairns, but sort of living in Queensland now, certainly not a sort of queer friendly or you're not <laughs> seeing the amount of, of queer people that you are in, a, in a Sydney or Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Were you the only one where you can completely ostracize the only oh, one your group of friends, for example? I wouldn't say the only one. You know, queer people are absolutely everywhere, but it, it certainly fe felt like I was um, – kind of felt like I was the first in my family. I've got a really large family. First in family, friendship groups, and a lot of people being like, yeah, duh, we, we know. But, yeah, it did feel like I was entering new territory in the communities that, that I was in at the time, definitely. And there is this generalization and this stereotype that people in the LBGTQI community – love to party yeah and that is sort of you know the impression that you get you, know, you see a lot of parties and like gay clubs are the best clubs in sydney mm -hmm. what does it feel like hearing that when you're in the community i don't ever want to take away from the the liberation and, and the really beautiful thing about about mm. queer community and it's really good that we're we're really good at finding each other and looking after each other and and there's something really great in you know, we, we like to party. It's it's really fun and we enjoy a really great sexual liberation as well. And I think that's a really positive thing, a part of the community. But of course, you know, now that I'm sober, you know, the headline is, is you know, getting absolutely blotto. You know, we're in the middle of Mardi Gras right now and, you know, people midweek drinking, like it's drinks, 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 drinks. I keep getting invited to drinks, 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 drinks. There is a really positive element of people coming together and finding each other, but there's also the the stock standard that it always revolves around alcohol and drugs, which is incredibly jarring for me. But but now that I've sort of found my voice and heading up to five years, I, I'm not afraid to say no and, and ask what it's going to be like for a sober person attending. And I'll just either exclude or either punch my way into that space. It struck me, you know, the, the easy way to look at, oh, there's a big party community there is to go, well, you know, there's, there's more income, there's no kids, <laughs> the, you can do it longer, there's less responsibilities. And I guess for me, I'm thinking, is that just surface layer? If you dig a little deeper, this is a group of people who, for the most part, have been, you know, 
outcast or have been a, the, the minority at least. And a lot of people experience trauma. You know, there is oh. coming out to your friends and family is not easy for a huge amount of people. Is there an element of truth in the fact that some of the some of the partying and some of the overdrinking might be more trauma based than just the fact that oh you know we haven't got kids so we can party in our fifties you know absolutely you scratch the surface of any queer group queer community <laughs> you'll just get a you'll get you know a huge outpouring of, of trauma I, w- I would suggest and you know really kind of rough rough histories for a lot of people and I think the people that do represent the queer community are usually white gay men, you know, gosh, myself included, um, you know, that that have a bit of income and that sort of thing. But, de- you know, that's definitely not the case for the majority of the queer community, underemployment, mental health issues, um, addiction, left, right and centre, you know, we speak about alcohol, we're incredibly represented in those statistics as well. And whilst a lot of people, you know, will see that kind of stereotype and it's I guess a positive stereotype you know party and sexual liberation that sort of thing but then there's also the the alcohol that comes with and then if that's affecting people that are you know well off and you know have employment and that sort of things you know you've got to reflect about how what it's like in in the rest of the community where underemployment might be the case as well. I want to talk about self-worth for a second because I know you've spoken about it in the past. You had this incredibly traumatic experience with with a past partner of yours that led to PTSD and, and all sorts. You don't have to share anything you don't want to. <laughs> um, but I know that, that with that experience, for example, there's this idea, well, I'm, I'm a heavy drinker and this is just the stuff that happens to heavy drinkers. And I, I not not I got what I deserved, but, you know, I, I don't need to report it because, you know, I was just a, a boozer. And I think so many people who, who overdrink experience that and then one of the beautiful things about becoming sober is you sort of slowly begin to fall back in love with yourself and yeah <laughs> too woo-woo, but there's an element of that oh. how quick did you sort of rediscover your self-worth on going sober i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/people today so, Vic, do you think you might have ADHD? Well, listeners keep emailing me telling me that they think I do, so probably. Mind you, listeners also email us saying we talk too much about your mum's feet. So what do they know? Yeah, fair enough. I honestly had no idea about the connection between overdrinking and ADHD until we started this podcast. About 40% of people that have had any sort of drinking issues also apparently have ADHD. Whenever we chat to ex-drinkers, this comes up more than you'd believe. If you have ADHD or suspect you might or just want to learn about this link, then we would encourage you to check out the I Have ADHD podcast. It's the place where adults with ADHD find research-based information, validation and tons of support. This is the best way to feel less alone and hear some of the answers to the questions you've been sitting with for too long. You'll hear detailed descriptions of what it means to have ADHD and enjoy interviews with the foremost experts in the industry so that you don't have to read those ADHD books that are collecting dust on your shelf. Yeah. Listen to the I Have ADHD podcast and learn how ADHD affects every aspect of your life, from the boardroom to the bedroom. In the podcast, you'll also hear about their ADHD coaching program, which is called Focused. Focused is made up of three pillars, courses, coaching and community. 
It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement program and is perfect for the ADHD brain. And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast. Oh, look, it, it was definitely a, a big period of time, you know. I think because, you know, I went through a, a home detox program with with the support of a GP. So, everything was really plan-based. You know, started preparing before I was going to start stop drinking. Um, I started taking medication to help me out. And so, the first month, like I, I, it feels weird to say this, was kind of easy, which sounds a bit unhinged. Um, I found the hardest part was three months to 12 months. I was like, oh my gosh, who am I? <laughs> who is that? in the mirror and you know you slowly like you started you know I started feeling really good and like you know the the endless benefits of of not drinking of course were starting to kick in and I was like oh my golly gosh I don't know who I am at all (laughs) so I kind of had to start again it felt like and you know in in so many different ways it, it probably took up to a couple of years. I, I never used to be really good at being by myself. But now I like love my own company. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm chill. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to do anything. I can just hang out with myself. And, and I think that is something that I love the most about this, you know, surprise, surprise, is that I, I did fall back in love with me um, after a very sort of rough period. Um, of time. Gosh, how long was I drinking for? 15 years or whatever. Yeah. Mm. And now I'm back. You're back, baby. <laughs> you're still, you know, you're, you've been nearly five years sober now. I know that your story wasn't a sort of, I hit rock bottom and then I had to turn my life around. <laughs> but what, what was, you know, your final day drinking? What was the final thing that happened that you're like, right, now I'm really out. And was it also, was it the first time that you tried to give up? Yeah, I think that's the the misconception with a lot of people and, and drinking yeah. is that you need to absolutely bottom out completely. You need that rock bottom. You've got to have that big, you know, Hollywood style like, oh, I'm going to turn my life around. Like yeah. that just didn't happen for me. And for a lot of people I know that are sober now, that didn't happen either. How many times did I try to stop drinking? Jesus, so many. <laughs> that, you know, eventually this one stuck, right? Like that, the time that I ended up stopping, it worked obviously. But there were so many times over the years. I remember writing letters to people and text messages, group messages. like, I'm drinking too much. I'm not drinking. Please help me, blah, 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 blah. But I was never like thoroughly invested at all. And I wasn't getting the proper help that I needed as well. Because I'd planned when I was going to stop drinking, I did have like a last hurrah and I kicked a car (laughs) at at a zebra crossing and they didn't stop for me. And I kicked the car and the guy got out and was going to beat the absolute shit out of me. But someone, (laughs) someone I was with like, you know, saved the day, but that was pretty brutal. And I guess it's like a really sober reminder, if you will, alcohol is not for me. <laughs> so, I, I kind of carry that around a little bit, but I just, and now I think it's quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do differently the time that you gave up and it works in comparison to the times when it didn't? I planned. I planned and planned and planned. And I think my mental health was not in a great space either. So, I've had a very medical approach to, to stopping drinking. You know, I had a psychologist um, a, a great GP, of course, that I did the home detox through, a psychologist and since a psychiatrist. 
And I think building a support network around me, you know, I'd, I'd done the same thing that I'd always done and told everybody that I was going to stop. That gave me a really nice accountability as well. But yeah, plan, support, and then the medical element as well. And I'd, I was kind of throwing everything at it because this, as much as I don't like to, to say it, my mental health was so bad that I think I kind of was approaching it a little bit as like, this is the last chance. And there was a part of me that was like, obviously, let's let's kind of push through here and, you know, stay alive. At the start was a very big part of pushing me forward. Um, and of course, since it, is, it has changed and I've really rewired that way of thinking as well through a lot of... Um, a lot of work yeah how many months planning were you talking were you like i'm going to give up in six months time and this is going to be the date how, how far in advance were you planning this? no very very quickly it was about three weeks i think yeah yeah i just i just really went for it i, I was pouring every bit of energy that i had into it and i think you know the thing that i was least prepared for was the social element the social element i was just not prepared at all. Yes. Well, the social element is probably the biggest reason that A, people who give up find it hard and B, people eventually relapse. Like it's oh. it's hard. I remember you describing it as being like in a room where the poison that's killing you is everywhere and everyone else is drinking it and you have to look at it oh. every time you go out and yep. you just have the whatever you call it, willpower or whatever it is yeah. to go, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I imagine you know, any anyone walking into a party who says, I'm not drinking today or I don't drink gets an element of peer pressure. Yeah. What is that like in like a Mardi Gras situation where everyone isn't just drunk? It's like party drugs. Yeah. Extremes, you know, is, is the peer pressure even more extreme in, in that environment? Well, it goes, it goes from a weird sort of spectrum where alcohol is all very like sort of judgy and people will query you and quiz you why you're not drinking. And then it goes over into people that are high like on like MDMA and they are a dream. They are totally fine. <laughs> they do not care if you're drinking or not. Just want a nice little cuddle. It's a very different vibe, you know? Um, yeah. So I'd say that that kind of drug, fine. Cocaine, you know, my, my only advice if you encounter someone on cocaine is just get away from them as quickly <laughs> as possible. Just run um, at speed. Um, get out of there. <laughs> Nothing good's going to happen. They're going to, you know, it's like those questions that you get from drinkers on, on steroids and, you know, um, obviously there's a lot of projecting that comes in as, as well. Mm. And it's, it's really hard when you, you stop and you, you put a f- flashlight, you put a spotlight onto people that still drink, you yeah. know, and they feel very sometimes, you know, very defensive about that. And it's like, hey, you know, this isn't about you, like calm down. And, and that's mm-hmm. something that I had to sew into a lot of social things is like, oh, it's not about you. This is, this is all about me. And, and kind of, I had to sometimes, I guess, come across a little bit selfish for my own, you know, safety, I guess, mm-hmm. which um, I found a really useful way is like, just be selfish, talk about yourself, talk about that, Turn, just to manage that spotlight that you're putting on people. And was the response from your friends generally positive? You, know, you said when you came out as gay, your friends were like, yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to go sober. They're like, thank God we can see that this needs to happen, you know? Yeah. Or did you, you know, some people lose friends, friendships change, uh-huh. people are disappointed they lose their, their drinking partner. What was that sort of second coming out like for you? Yeah, it was so different. You know, coming out as queer, I think, of course, there's people that, that reject and you just you just leave them and then there's the people that love you and, and that, of course, that's fantastic fantastic that support that i've had but coming out as a non-drinker my gosh 
it's it's so different and something that I still experience a real whiplash when I tell people that that I don't drink. It's the normal stuff that you speak a lot about on the podcast. You know, the looks, the questions. Is it just for a short period of time or blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And now I'm, I have absolutely no problem. Like I said, just, just punching straight in. I don't drink. I used to drink. I don't drink anymore. I, you know, I'm an alcoholic if I want to like make people really uncomfortable. And it just, it always <laughs> goes on like how rude they are. And if, if they're incredible rude, then I say, I'm an alcoholic. You can't say that to me just to like, just to give it back a bit because, you know, I'm not afraid. I used to be afraid and and now I'm not at all. And I encourage everybody to not be afraid about centering yourself as someone that doesn't drink. Don't be a backup dancer. You know, you're the main event. And you've described yourself a bit like me as as a self-confessed extrovert, which I think (laughs) in the early days of going sober, it's always like, am I still an extrovert? I know I was an extrovert when I was drunk, but Mm -hmm. am I still capable of being an extrovert? Am I still able to party or be Mm -hmm. the life and soul of a party Mm -hmm. when sober? How have you found that? Like how quickly were you able to go, oh yeah, I'm still an extrovert. I can still party without without the booze. It took me a a little bit of time to find that groove again. You know, I had a whole bunch of, you know, this is what I mean in the, the six month to 12 month period was the biggest time of um, personal change, I think, where everything is still kind of up in the air. You don't know if I'm going to like start drinking again and it's kind of in your head a little bit. Yeah, slowly but surely, you kind of, you test things out and you do things and then you kind of come out your shell a lot and then you absolutely go back in and, you know, it's like, okay, I flew too close to the sun there. I'm just like, calm down <laughs> a little bit. Um, and, and now, golly gosh, of course, my social life has changed. You know, I... I get tired, you know, I'm a morning person now. I wake up and I swim in the ocean every day and the thought of going out and sitting at a pub until like midnight makes me feel gross. <laughs> um, it stinks and drunk people are obviously a fucking nightmare. I know, I was one. I, I teach life-saving now, you know. I'm, I'm still very much an extrovert. It's just in a very different way. I will still host things. I'm still like really good at parties and everything, but there comes mm. a time where I'm just like, and it's usually when you hear like a drink smash, there's a few clues. <laughs> a drink smashes, someone grabs you and pulls themselves towards you. Nothing annoys me more as a sober person when a drunk person grabs you because they have to tell you something that's really important, but it's, of course, absolute horseshit. Um, those <laughs> I never things- said it to you half an hour ago. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, get me out of here. And I, and I just turn to whoever it is and I'm just like, I'm leaving right now <laughs> and it's not even an irish goodbye it's like shouting to a room half the time i'm just like catches <laughs> i'm out well funny you say that i remember hearing you say that you know one of the great tips that you could give anyone going sober in those early days is to tell your closest friends yeah. hey if i say get me out this party get me the yeah. fuck out of this party yeah how, how many times did you have to do that oh actually not too many, but having that in your head is is half the trick. I guess a few times in the, in the early days, I, I did pull that ripcord. I was like, I got to go. Um, and it was good to have a person that you'd kind of teed up before. You're having that plan in place. It's all about planning. Without a plan, you're going to fail, of course. Um, but I used it a few times and now it's it's just a part of it. It's my self, self-regulation almost where I'm like, nah. I've heard the drink smash. Someone's pissed me off. I'm out of here. <laughs> and for anyone who's, you know, approaching this weekend, Mardi Gras in Sydney, like for anyone that doesn't know Mardi Gras in Sydney, firstly, it's like, 
the greatest weekend yeah. ever. <laughs> I knew that gay pride was going on when I was in London, but it wasn't didn't take over the city. Mm. It was just something that was happening and some people go, some people don't. Sydney, the whole city parties. Totally, basically. yeah. If anyone's listening to this and they, they're nervous to go to their first Mardi Gras sober, mm-hmm. which obviously you've done five or four or four and a half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what would your advice be? What have your experiences been of it? I think what we were just speaking about, your friends, your friends that you can trust. Obviously, you're going to have friends that are still going to be probably drinking and taking drugs or whatever. But then you're going to have people that are genuinely interested in your welfare. And, you know, you'll figure out who those people are, you know, over time and tell them that peer support is is so important and has and has dragged me through many 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 times you know i've also got a group chat it's called sober furious gaze and we (laughs) we frantically texting each other all the horse shit that we've been experiencing over the past period of time but also mardi gras god absolute vodka get me out of here you know everything's you know all the alcohol branding i'm just like it's literally everywhere so Mm. make sure you've got a person that you can lean on um and otherwise just if you need to exclude from something that's okay it doesn't mean you're a bad queer person you know it's totally mm-hmm. fine to just sleep through it D- don't be afraid to do that either if, if you need to if you're not sure don't go i like the idea of your sober furious gaze group having like a meeting point like if you're struggling 2 a.m we meet, we meet <laughs> here assemble. yeah yeah 2 a.m good god no <laughs> no way we're well and truly asleep back then <laughs> <laughs> oh no, once a night you, owl actually. But yeah. Do you go out with sober gay people? Have you yes. got a group of like, okay, let's have sober nights out? And is, is there even a place to do that? Oh, like not really. You know, you're always gonna feel a little bit out. The majority of things as an adult are focused on alcohol, but of course we go and do cool stuff like we're just leaning into the, you know, artistic gay side of things. You know, there's so much to do without booze. If when you're on the other side, it feels like there isn't, but of course there is, you know. We go you know, we go to dinner all the time, you know, do cool stuff like movies. I drag them to like foreign cinema. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, we I have so much more fun now in a shorter period of time than I used to when I would get wasted and like leave home and come back 48 hours later. What's your Mardi Gras look like this weekend? What have you yeah, got planned? Yeah, it's big, it's big, it's big. So this morning <laughs> um, I woke up, I live in Bondi and we, we had a lovely swim um, in Bondi Bay and I was stung by blue bottles as were my friends, unfortunately, but oh. I'm hoping okay. Um, and then we went to a flag raising ceremony at North Bondi Surf Club. Thank you, Nobo. And then tonight I'm actually sleeping because I need to because tomorrow I wake up and I train lifesavers and then I am in the afternoon, I am going to be marching with Lifesavers with Pride, which is another pure joy. I left mm-hmm. alcohol and I found the ocean. And so, yeah, I'm really excited for that. You'll see me in my tiny little togs. No time for body <laughs> dysmorphia because you got nothing to work with, just a tiny little pair of red and yellow togs. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, we've wanted to do this episode for so long. Like, we need to do an episode on this subject. It's so important. We were like, Neither of us are gay. We need the perfect guest for, for this to be worthwhile. And I think you you are who we were looking for. Oh. So thank you so much for doing this today. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Love your work. That was such a lovely interview, Hamish. I, I do want to learn a little bit more about that pole dancing, though. 
I didn't really get into it with him. No, I know. Like we only had half an hour. I would have happily spent 25 minutes talking about pole dancing. Yeah, we'll have to call him back. Yeah, we'll do a separate episode. <laughs> I think we will. Yeah. It might seem like a huge change, but if you really want to soak up all the Mardi Gras has to offer, why not try and celebrate it without drinking alcohol? That is an option. Who knew? You'll be able to count on one hand the amount of people that go to Mardi Gras sober, but you could be one of them. I reckon there'll be a sober float there. We'll wait and see tomorrow. <sighs> yeah, we'll cool. see what happens. Yeah, we'll report back on that one. I reckon there'll be a little sober scene going on. Mardi Gras is one of our favourite holidays. You might be able to find new ways to celebrate it without alcohol. And chances are you will have friends or accountability buddies who are excited to join you. Here are some ideas to make it a bit easier. Firstly... Food. Seek yes. out your favourite Mardi Gras themed dishes. Try new stuff and make that your joy. I know it's ours. We always do that at Christmas. We suddenly yeah. go, bugger the booze. Yes. Let's go hard on food. Sausage and two veg. That would be it, wouldn't it? The Mardi Gras flavoured dish. <laughs> <laughs> That's my, my penis joke for the day. Yeah. Hey, which we had to have one in there, didn't yeah. we? <laughs> I wonder if the sales of sausages go up at Mardi Gras. I should think so. <laughs> sausages and bananas. Go to daytime events and find some sober mates to hang out with. Enjoy time with loved ones. Appreciate being present and just feeling the love around you. One that is always relevant, particularly Mardi Gras, and Andrew and I did talk about it, is leave when you are ready to leave. I heard this being called the veto card earlier today. Being in recovery gets you a VIP pass to take off whenever you need to. Treat sobriety like it's your job, like you're basically on call at all times. You get to take off whenever you want to and you get to protect what you've worked so hard for. Even if you organise the evening or you just paid $75 for parking, even if you were feeling fine five minutes ago, if you're feeling fragile, use your veto card and burn rubber out of there. I think that's such an important one, isn't it, is knowing when to leave Mm. because you might get drawn in otherwise. Yeah. Remember that FOMO is an illusion. How many times have you wanted to be invited to an event, but knew in your heart you wouldn't go anyway? Anyone, anywhere, (laughs) Bueller, Mardi Gras, or any big exciting event which happens to be infused with alcohol is like that. Sounds fun, looks fun, and probably is less fun than you've imagined sober. So if it's not feeling safe to go, then don't. That is definitely an option. Yeah, you could probably just make the most of the fact that there's no one out. Yeah. You probably just walk into a cinema, get a front row ticket. <laughs> yeah. You could do whatever you like. Everyone's going to be on Oxford Street. Yeah, and you could watch it at home with a cup of cocoa. Yeah, it's on TV as well. Yeah, I think it's on TV oh, as well. Yeah. Big, big it's on concert. the ABC. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good. It's such a. Good... It's Kylie playing this year. Yeah, I usually she, drag Kylie out, she don't play, they? Yeah, usually her or Gaga or Sam Smith. Yeah. No, I think she. I think she was last year. Okay, maybe Sam Smith. He's good, isn't he? Yeah, love him. But I think he's done it as well recently. I yes. don't know who's doing it this oh, year. Oh, I'm excited. We'll find out. It's so good. If you do want to go, just go, enjoy it, leave when you're ready. Do Mardi Gras however you want to do it, with pride and with a genuine joy. Yeah, what will you be doing, Hamish? I'll be watching it on TV wearing my leather thong. Oh, of course. Oh, what a coincidence, Hamish. That's what me and John are doing tonight as well. Oh, there's a whole family leather thong situation Yes, yeah, tonight, we're going to be all it? getting our leather thongs on, the whole, all the kids as well, and we're yeah. watching the Mardi Gras. Not easy to find. It's a tradition in my family. Not easy to find a a six-year-old's leather thong, is it? No, no. They don't sell many of those. (laughs) You have to make that yourself. Yeah, I made it myself, yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody, and have a brilliant Mardi Gras weekend. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling. Contact a local doctor. Find an AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one. Yeah, just head to www.cuppa.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, 
it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it, and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Hamish. Bloody hell. How do they share it? I don't know. Just write it on Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out all my magnificent fuck-uppery in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores. We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah. Are, there, are there bad bookstores? No, it's probably ones with moody, moody what? sellers. Oh, yeah, really yeah. depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay, yeah, good, yeah. Good. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only made it into the goodies. <laughs> You can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now, and the audiobook will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for five years. It will make you laugh, cry, and cringe, and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast, then I think you'll love the book, even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think? I feel like I know a little bit too much about you now, to be honest, Vic. Look, I really loved it. It was hilarious and surprisingly moving, but I feel like I've seen you naked in a literary sense. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, that's worrying. Yeah. yeah. From an emotional point of view, seriously, 
It wobbled my teeny weeny wooden heart, Vic. Okay. My teeny little wooden heart. Well, his teeny little, his wooden heart is broken. Anyway, so if you do manage to get your filthy mitts on a copy, please do me a favour and head to goodreads.com and give me a review. Doing that will help me get it out there to those that need a bit of sober support. So there you have it. My story, unwanted warts and all. Come and get awkward with me. Not to be too demanding or anything, but seriously, go and buy it Yeah, now. go and buy it. Go and buy it right now. Yeah, don't just tell your friends. Buy it and then buy your friends one or two. Yeah, yeah, don't give them a copy. Yeah. Buy it, yeah. And you know what? Don't be careful where you store it. If you lose it, you can always buy another yeah, five. Yeah, buy another one. Yeah. <laughs> 